0: Everyone, thank you so much for joining us today for episode two of season three of Revise and Resubmit. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama.
1: And I'm Dr. Annalisa Volan, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama, and we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA.
0: As you learned from our intro to Season 3, this season is all about talking with CNIS alum, those people who spent a few years, or maybe more than a few years, here at the Capstone and have gone on to do some pretty cool things. We're going to get a chance to hear about who they are and what they're doing now, and you'll learn more about some of the whys and the hows they got to the path that they're on. And as you'll learn throughout the season, this path isn't always linear, but that isn't always such a bad thing.
1: So let's think about or talk about our guest today, and I've got an initial question for you, Kim, and that is, how much time would you say that you spend each day? And I'm not trying to call you out. (laughs)
0: So I feel a little bit of pressure here and also feel like maybe I shouldn't be saying this out loud. Um, but the honest answer is it does depend on the day. Mm-hmm. If it's a college football Saturday, probably way too much time with multiple screens on. Um, but I think that's I think that's legit. And I think those of us who are UA uh, UA employees and alums can agree with that (laughs) being very valid. Um, But if it's an average weekday, significantly less time. But I have to fess up about having a few binge-worthy shows that I love watching on Netflix. So now I have to ask you, how much time would you say you spend with the media?
1: Um, So I'm gonna uh, appropriately (laughs) define here. But I will say, I spend uh, too much time with media, uh, social media, sports media, health media, (laughs) political media, reality TV media. Give me all of the media. Um, (laughs) And I am going to take a stand, and I'm not going to judge myself on the quality of the media I'm consuming. Um, but if it's on TV or makes it to social media, it's good, right? I mean, isn't that how it works? Someone else is judging (laughs) it and they only let the best things out there. So it's all quality time for hours. All
0: quality, all quality. (laughs) So our next guest is going to tell us a little bit more about why this may matter. Although it isn't necessarily the time we spend with the media, but the actual content. Have you ever watched a film or a TV show that just made you feel better, or have you watched a documentary that inspired you in some way to go out and do something good for others? I have to fess up—I watched the Great British Baking Show, and it just makes me want to try my hand at baking.
1: Um, so I'm going to disagree there, and the Great <laughs> British show makes me not want to try my hand at baking. I mean, I watch it, but I just know that if these people have their like whoopsies and they're amateur. Uh, But they know something. Well, I'm better off with sticking with the box mix or the bakeries in town. Um, But I digress. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Art Rainey is the James E. Kirk Professor of Communication at Florida State University. And after receiving his Ph.D. from CNIS at the University of Alabama, he went on to study media effects and the ways that we interact with entertainment media. He also spent several years studying how self-transcendent emotions are elicited by and experienced by viewing inspirational media content. And today he's gonna break all of that down for us.
0: We are so excited to welcome Dr. Art Rainey. Welcome, Art. Thank you so much for joining us, Art. It is great to have you today.
2: Thanks. It's great to to be a part of this, and uh, thanks for asking me to join.
0: Absolutely. Um, since you are not currently at the University of Alabama, we would like for you to give us some basic information about who you are and what you do. So we're going to call this the Rapid Fire, Get to Know You, part of the podcast.
2: Sounds great. All
0: right. So first, where are you from, and where
1: did you grow up?
2: Well, I am actually from right there in Tuscaloosa. My father was a professor wow. at, at the university for in the College of Engineering for 30 some odd years. So I was born in DCH and I am oh a Tusca- Tuscaloosa County high grad. In Tuscaloosa in the and the capstone. Is, uh, played a huge role in my upbringing.
1: Cool. That's that's great. And second, where are you now?
2: So now uh, for the past 20 plus years, I've been in Tallahassee, Florida as a faculty member at Florida State University in the School of Communication there.
1: All right. And then were you at the University of Alabama, which I guess was birth?
2: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Well, really nine months prior to birth. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I was uh, an undergraduate there, actually, in the uh, College of Communication. It was just communication at the time, uh, in 1986, and I graduated with my B.A. there in 1990, and then I came back for my Ph.D. starting in 94 and finished my Ph.D. in
0: 98. Cool. wow. Wow. Well, you have a great history with UA, then. Um, so what we would like to do is get um, a little bit more information about the the what you do part of it. But before we do, I have to ask, if you go on to Google and type in Art Rainey, one of the first things that comes up is this Templeton Foundation grant that you received yeah. where you studied self-transcendent emotions. You're going to have to tell us more about this and what you found out over the three years of the project.
2: Yeah, sure. Happy to. Uh, right. So the Templeton Foundation uh, gave us more money than probably they should have. No, just kidding. <laughs> they, 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 It's a wonderful it's a good problem. <laughs> yeah, it's a great problem to have. No, they, they're a fantastic uh, uh, group that looks at, at issues around science and religion and uh, psychology and, and um, kind of wonderful things. Uh, and what they uh, enabled us to do was really kind of for the first time look from a communication perspective at how media can influence uh, a lot of these virtuous thoughts and actions in people. So we were looking at how what people often refer to as inspiring films or inspirational uh, television shows or online videos and things of that nature, mm-hmm. how, how these kind of representations of moral beauty and kind, random acts of kindness, how that exposure to that kind of uh, media content can make us better people, can make us awesome. more, uh, more helpful, uh, can make us be more charitable, can help us think about uh, the ways that we can uh, be better people and things of that nature. So so yeah, we uh, over three years, we did uh, some content analyses, we did some surveys, and we did a lot of experimental research, really looking at how media can serve to make us better people. I,
0: oh, wow. I mean, it's just... So fascinating to hear about that. Ultimately, what did you find? Can can we say? Yep, I spend a lot of time on yeah. that, and I'm a better person because of it. Yeah.
2: Right. Well, what we you know what we find is uh, similar to what we find quite a bit in the kind of work that we do, in particular looking at uh, at media, which is well, it's complicated, right? And so we did find a lot of evidence that a these types of inspiring, uh, uplifting, heartwarming uh, types of portrayals are, are quite common in media. And that B, a lot of people consume them quite often. Now there are some differences in terms of gender and, and education and uh, there, there are personality variables that differ on how much people seek these, uh, these things out. But ultimately C, we do find that the more that people consume these types of materials, right, this type of content, the more likely they are to experience positive emotion in their life, which can lead to well-being. the more likely they are to have pro-social motivations and have a desire to help people and to make the world a better place. And so, yeah, it's, it's a complicated set of factors and personality factors definitely mm-hmm. come into play, but yeah, media can be a positive force uh, for social good uh, in people's lives,
1: I, I was thinking that it would just be very cut and dry. And when I see that, like you have spent forty hours this on your phone, <laughs> <laughs> I can say, "Well, I'm being better, though." This is
2: <laughs> absolutely yes.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: becoming a better human with all this time on my phone. <laughs>
2: it, it, is, it is virtue exercise that you're doing. <laughs>
0: The name for it.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I have to go back to what you said earlier, Art, about you know being born and bred in Tuscaloosa with with the ties to UA and your dad being a professor in engineering. Did the young Art Rainey think that you were going to be a professor, or did you have a completely different like vision for what you would be when you grew up?
2: Well, the young Art Rainey had visions of being an NBA star. <laughs> uh,
0: Wait a minute, you can still do that. Uh, uh, well,
2: I, I, I hesitated to say it because I, the draft went by again a couple of weeks ago. And, and unfortunately, I yet again was not drafted in the first two rounds of the NBA draft. Um, so with that career path a bit on hold still. Uh, Yeah, I, you know, I, one of the first jobs, if if you can call it that, that I ever had was uh, working with my father in in his research lab. I helped him out. uh, And when I was a junior in high school, he was doing some computer modeling of water systems across the United States and needed someone to do some computer uh, work for him and plot out these huge uh, computer uh, graphics of, uh, of these water systems. And so he hired me to do that with him in the summer. And I, you know, the, I got the research bug uh, and he was a fantastic in, instructor as well. When I was a, a, an undergrad, I would uh, occasionally stop by uh, his office to say hi to him, but he would be lecturing and I would, you know, kind of stand outside the door and and just, he was a, a wonderful uh, teacher as well. And so I felt like my skill sets were similar to his. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, early on, you know, junior high, high school, I began thinking that uh, an academic life might be something uh, that I would want to pursue. Probably not engineering, which is <laughs> is, is uh, exactly right. He, 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 he often kidded me that I went, you know, I chose the major that was the most different from uh, what he was doing, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 think early on, uh, yeah, the desire to be, uh, around kind of education, uh, higher education was something that was, was, was a pull for me.
1: And so kind of following this, how did you come into, Communication and and (laughs) how did you get even like even more specifically into the area of of research that you're doing now?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I came into communication, you know, that that straight path uh, through pre-med.
0: Hmm, yeah. Right. Wow. <laughs> wow.
2: Right? Isn't that that's the general path that most people take? Right?
0: <laughs> NBA stars. Uh-huh, NBA. Well, the,
2: well, when when the NBA was was looking a little more pale in high school. <laughs> Uh, the idea was I would be the head of sports medicine at the Olympic training center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. That was the the, the job I had picked out for myself. So yeah, I started uh, as a pre-med student at Alabama uh, and organic chemistry took care of that for me.
1: I've heard that before. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes.
2: And, and so I, um, yeah, I kind of wandered through a couple of different majors and, uh, yeah, took a, a public speaking class and uh, started thinking about journalism a little bit uh, and kind of wandered into the, to Pfeiffer Hall and kind of found my home. Um, yeah, and P, uh, PR is uh, the degree I ended up uh, completing. And, um, yeah, that's kind of that's where the story all began.
0: So if you had to come up with a headline from Mm. one of your more interesting findings, what would that headline be?
2: Well, I think it would probably be, uh, um, you know, the question, can media make us better people? Mm -hmm.
0: Yes. (laughs) With the,
2: right, with the, yes, but it's complicated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you've elaborated on that. Um, in terms of the different factors that have Mm -hmm. to be considered in this bigger picture. Is this still the area um, that most of your work is being done? Have you um, ventured into other types of research in the communication field? Can you tell us just broadly a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, sure. So my, right, this study in inspirational media and and self-transcendent emotions is really kind of, for me, been a journey from a, a much broader uh, kind of origin, kind of foundation, um, which is I my master's degree is actually in theology. Huh. Uh, and so I was really interested in looking at, and, and still am, interested in this relationship between the things that we believe about ourselves and the world, kind of our core foundational moral Uh, uh, morality and how that influences who we are in the world and how the world has an influence reciprocally on those deeply held values. And so that has kind of been an ongoing set of questions that I've been trying to think about. And so my early work, uh, really the work that I started there at uh, Alabama in, in the College of Communication and Information, was focusing on morality. And how individuals' uh, perceptions of morality had an influence on the uh, the kind of entertainment that they sought out, uh, and how reciprocally, perhaps, consumption of that kind of entertainment shape has has a shaping influence on what we believe and think as uh, about issues of right and wrong uh, in the world today. And so that's that. Uh, so I've looked a lot at issues around. Uh, morality and media consumption. How how our moral values shape again what we seek out. How it shapes, and I've spent a lot of work uh, time looking at this. How it shapes how we interpret uh, media entertainment, uh, and then again how it may have an influence uh, that those those in- entertainment experiences have, may have an influence on our belief systems,
1: and so yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, I was just and so at the heart of all of that for me has been in uh, a, a study of entertainment. And I'm just really that that has been my uh, primary focus is really looking at entertainment and how that right has an influence on our thoughts and feelings and emotions and beliefs and things of that nature.
1: So it seems like it's a lot of kind of uh, how 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 consumption, affects the individual and then how the individual then makes decisions based on that. I'm trying to think about that. The, how, okay. I'll just ask what is, uh, tell us a little bit about the application of your work. So is it, is it, Mm -hmm. I I feel like I could, I could seek out some self-help here. Um, (laughs) Continue on my quest to, but I'm sure that your the application of your work goes beyond just kind of the the one individual,
2: right? Yeah, absolutely. And and we can we can talk offline if you need uh, some <laughs> assistance with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think the, the application of the work that that I'm doing, at least I, what I would like to think the application is, is both in. in I, I see right, the the things in our environment have an influence on our well-being, right? Whether it's the conversations we have with our family, whether it's the amount of time we spend exercising, right? It's the things we fill our life with have an influence on our well-being. And that, of course, well-being is a a concern for educators. It's a concern for health professionals. It's a concern for psychologists. It's a concern for, uh, right, right, for all of us. And so, I, I think one of the things I've been trying to work on and figure out is how, what role does media play in this overall sense of well-being that we experience? And so, because of that, there are applications for health professionals, right? I think there's there's there are applications for educators in developing media literacy campaigns, in particular for kids, and how uh, we can help kids learn to utilize media, not just consume media, but actually in a construct to help them figure out who they are.
0: All right, Art. So I I have to ask this question because as we sort of think about um, the role of media in our lives, especially now, um, and the way that we can have access to so much media, what you've been talking about up to this point is really the content, how exposure to specific types of content can and I'm, I'm totally breaking this down um, but help us be better humans when I'm when I'm wondering is what about the time you know and when you think about and this can just be based on you know your observation of doing all this type of work for over two decades, you know, when you think about family dynamics and interpersonal dynamics and things like that, it seems like we spend a lot of time with media, but it may not necessarily be the media um, that's going to help us be better humans. So have you, is that something that you've studied? How does that factor in just in terms of like that time function?
2: Yeah, well, so I haven't studied specifically looking at media use in terms of time that much. I'll just be honest with you. But overall, I mean, what we what I think the research that I've been involved in points to is that media can be used for quite intentional purposes. and I think one of the things that at least seems to happen when we consume so much media is that we fall back on it as either a, uh, you know, a, a, a companion mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. A, to, to, to kind of let time slide by, that we use it in fairly passive ways. And of course, media content can have unintentional effects both positive and negative on us and so I think what, I, what my interest is and my encouragement for you know for lack of a better example my own kids who are now uh, in their mid-20s has always been to utilize media but do so for specific purposes right mm-hmm them to, to use media content intentionally whatever that content may be uh and so i think um, right we do use a lot of media and, and time spent with media has never been at a higher number for people in the u.s mm-hmm. uh, my hope is that as we're using more media that we'll use that we use media more intentionally uh, yeah. for purposes
1: so um I'm gonna switch gears a little bit, um, but you know, say in the realm of higher education, does your scholarship make it into the classes you teach and how so?
2: Yeah, it does. Uh, so many of the classes that I teach are on uh, media effects, mm-hmm. right, or on entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, or basic uh, uh, communication theory. And so, some of my readings, or uh, I try not to be—I try not to be that uh, uh, faculty member who makes you read all of <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but but uh, when, when appropriate, my readings uh, are, have been a part of my classes. Uh, but I'm much more interested in because I think I, I've been really privileged to. Uh, to work with a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me and better writers, <laughs> a, uh, three related works, right? Of, of colleagues of mine at other universities uh, who are writing on similar issues, uh, and and I try to I try to pump up their work more so <laughs> because I figure the students hear me yammering on every week in class; they don't have to hear me yammer on, and be full of
0: that much. <laughs> And also read this work that I've published.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly right.
0: So when you consider your professional career, is there something that you're particularly proud of? Yeah,
2: well, we were talking a little bit about the the Templeton grant early on. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I am really proud of that work. And, and, not so much for myself, but because A, it, I was able to work on that project with a lot of fantastic colleagues at different universities, some of whom were uh, just starting their career. Uh, and so I think it really, it, it helped kind of start this conversation around positive media that's being fueled now by a lot of uh, younger, if you will, um, kind of more junior faculty members uh, across the communication discipline and that's really that's that's really exciting to me you know i think the issues that are being investigated are important and i'm really excited that people who will be uh, in the academy and uh, for a lot longer than i will be are interested in studying them as well and mm-hmm. so that grant i think really helped carve this new little area in fact uh, with some of those colleagues just last year, we published the first kind of summary of this area that we're calling positive media psychology. We published the first introduction that, as a kind of a, a, an advanced undergraduate, early graduate student kind of textbook. Hmm. Uh, that introduces kind of gives a summary of these various areas that we've been working in, that also other people have been working in, in children's media, in uh, uh, entertainment, education, uh, in these various areas that have looked at how media can be used for positive social good, uh, and if we kind of pulled it all together in that, uh, and so in that in that introductory uh, textbook, and I think it's helping to. To kind of shape this sub discipline of positive media psychology and that that to be a part of that with such great other uh, people has been really fulfilling and exciting to me.
1: So I'm going to I'm going to shift gears slightly um in, in a career that that lasts I mean my goodness even 3 years but definitely one that that spans decades. Um we we know um that you will have had experience with revising and resubmitting and persisting um, through your work. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with that kind of persistence in finding creating new knowledge?
2: Absolutely. well, and and you're right. this is I'm, you know i'm I'm at the beginning of but I'm in my third decade in this uh, career. <laughs> and- and you should know that I get rejections all the time from <laughs> journals. You know, it doesn't stop, and and they, they, it doesn't stop.
1: Doesn't stop. <laughs> they,
2: right? We uh, and so so yeah. I think one of the things that I have come to understand and appreciate and uh, rue at the same time about this. <laughs> about this career path is that we're always being evaluated. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's non-stop mm-hmm. process, whether it's the lecture that you just gave or your year's worth of uh, work that you're, you know, the dean is looking at or, you know, awards committees or tenure committees, you know, it's a, it's, it's a never-ending cycle of being evaluated by someone. And And so, yeah, there has to be, at least I have found from myself this this place to to be okay with failure, mm. right? And because because that that evaluation is never ending, and and so yeah, persisting in that belief that okay, I think I have something meaningful to add to this ongoing intellectual conversation, mm. and a willingness to be open to knowing that the way you're adding to that conversation maybe isn't as useful as it could be. And how can you make that better? That is getting feedback from others is, and and being okay with that evolution of Mm -hmm. one's own thinking and being and writing, I think has been, is, is, has been really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and of course I, can, I feel for myself I'm only able to do that if I have this kind of rock solid uh, you know basis behind me of my family and friends and love yeah. who support me even when I'm saying or writing stupid stuff you know? <laughs> <laughs> in the rejections, yeah right when the rejection letters come in that that at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm still a dad, and that's fantastic. At the end of the day, I'm still a partner to my wife, and I, I'm really excited about that. <laughs> At the end of the day, I can, you know, still go on a walk with my dog, and that's really fantastic and mm-hmm. fulfilling. And so, having that foundation for me as, as kind of a buffer against the right the rejection mm, yeah. it helps yeah. helps me helps me to persist. I think. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I, I think it's also a really good reminder that we are not alone in it. You know, I think sometimes it's so easy to get bogged down. And when we get the rejection letters, and as you noted, we all get them. Um, it's very disheartening. It can, you know, break our spirits a little bit. But, um, you know, maybe not in the moment. We don't think that it's happening across the board. But it's certainly a good reminder. Um, So I feel like we're shifting gears on you all over because there's (laughs) so many questions to ask, Um, but one uh, that I really wanted to ask you today specifically, when you were here at the University of Alabama, I know you had the opportunity to kind of overlap with uh, Dr. Jennings Bryant when he was here as well. Uh, Do you have a great Jennings story or do you have, um, did you take a class from him that you thought was particularly great and any great story that you want to share with our listeners?
2: Well, uh, uh, Jennings was my mentor. Uh, I I came to the university uh, mainly because of him. Uh, and I was very fortunate to um, to work with Jennings as a research assistant, to be a student in his class, uh, and then to be a co-author with him, and transition into a, to being a friend of his. And uh, career and life are um, uh, yeah, I I cannot begin to describe. Uh, how immense that impact has been. Uh, the w- one story that j- just comes to mind because it's just prototypical Jennings is, is is has nothing to do with my career. It's my son was born uh, when I was uh, starting my dissertation uh, at Alabama, um, and the first person who was not a family member that showed up at my house shortly after we returned from the hospital was Jennings Bryant. Smiling Mm. ear to ear with this huge basket of treats and goodies uh, and just overjoyed at my joy uh, of welcoming my son into the world. And that's just who he was as a, a scholar, as a mentor, as a friend, Incredibly recording generous, recording in and progress. Incredibly giving, uh, and um, yeah, I the, the the I miss him so much yeah. still yeah. today. Yeah.
0: Well, I do appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, As I told you before, one of the things that we hope to do as we spoke with um, former students here at UA and alum of the PhD program, um, we were hoping to also get a little bit of um, everyone's experiences with Jennings so that we can continue to celebrate all that he's done for um, the college. So, we have one more question before we hit our rapid fire. Okay. Sorry, it's always technology. Um, for our listeners who are newer to academia and newer to communication research, um, and, and you've hit on this a little bit about your sports system. But I know that it can be tough to be motivated. And you talked about the persistence. Uh, persistence. Sorry, keep hitting buttons. Uh, You talked about the persistence um, that you had to have through the revise and resubmit process. Um, But a lot of what we do, I mean, it's it's not just showing up to teach a class or do some writing. There's some minutiae. and, And there are a lot of things that, at times, seem difficult to push through. So, what do you do during those times um, to to stay motivated?
2: Yeah, there is uh, there there is a lot of minutiae that we push through. Administrivia. <laughs>
1: uh, yes. Yeah.
2: Uh, well, I think, you know, one of the things that, and, and, and again, we are, we're, we're all different in the way that we, we kind of think about things, but I I, I have found a lot of um, satisfaction or at least efficiency, in compartmentalizing uh, a lot of tasks
0: mm-hmm.
2: And be a pretty task-oriented person. And so when it comes to those minutiae and the grind, it's just knowing that Okay, I'm going to place this goal on today, right? I'm going to get to this point today, and then I'm going to be done with it, right? And then yeah. pick it up tomorrow to get to point B. Tomorrow, then that's fine. But it's uh, for me, it's it's trying to keep those very even the ones that we try to that we dread, keeping them compartmentalized to the extent where I know that it's an accomplishable task at a, for a particular, a particular period of time that I can then, once completed, reward myself with something that I do enjoy, hmm. right? And move on mm-hmm. to something else. And mm-hmm. so uh, for me, that's, uh, that, that's a big part of kind of pushing through, but it's also reflecting on kind of the, the larger issues and the, 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 the broader academic community that we find ourselves in. And trying to take time and realize, you know, we read these great works from decades gone by, scholars who we admire, and and to reflect that. Wait a minute, it's we are privileged to be in that ongoing intellectual conversation about, for us, communication as a process, and and my god that it's it's such a it's, it's such a privileged place to be hmm. uh, and to reflect on you know what if it means that I have to do x, y, and z to to be a part of this this much larger social experiment or larger kind of effort towards understanding the one of the most fundamental parts of human existence that is communication, then okay, I'm in. <laughs> I like that while still getting the chance to be a part of a group of individuals who are intensely interested in curious about motivated by things similar to me.
1: Yeah. Count me in. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're going to um, wrap up in a similar way that we started with a couple of rapid fire questions. <laughs> So my first question is, what is your favorite academic conference or association? Well, I think,
2: yeah, sure. I think overall, ICA, the International Communication Association, is mm-hmm. my two, uh, uh, favorite conference.
1: And are you planning on submitting to ICA <laughs> in the near future? Well, the next conference is
2: in Paris. <laughs> That's gonna be a hard yes.
1: <laughs> yes. And then so this this one will be very easy. My final question is Are you looking forward to attending ICA in next uh, next time?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the conferences offer us the opportunity to uh, meet folks and share experiences and collaborate and uh, again feel a part of that intellectual community and so yeah looking forward to it
0: (laughs) i think you and me and everyone else in our discipline (laughs) um art i just want to thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us today i apologize for the technological issues on our end regardless. It was wonderful to catch up and learn more about what you've been doing since you've left the University of Alabama. Thank you, thank you. It's, it's really been a true pleasure to catch up with you.
2: Well, it's been a great joy of mine to, to chat with you both and I look forward to, uh, uh, to have an opportunity to do it again. Thanks again for inviting me.
1: Absolutely, thanks Art. Yep.
0: Thank you all so much for hanging in there with us as we had this really fantastic conversation with Dr. Art Rainey with all the technological difficulties. It's always technology, isn't it? Um, But despite that, I hope you got a lot of takeaways from this one. This was so much fun to record. Um, Next week, teaser alert, we're gonna be speaking to someone who actually has a connection to Art Rainey. You'll have to tune in next week to figure out what that connection is. But next week, we speak with Dr. Andrew Dunn, who's an associate professor and chair of Media and Communication at East Tennessee State University. So our conversations continue with these great CNIS alum. Please join us next week.